Assalamu alaikum. Happy Savior's Day and welcome to our Savior's Day Separation Town Hall. Let us begin with prayer. Prayer. Surely I turn myself to thee, O Allah, striving to be upright to him who originated the heavens and the earth, and I'm not from amongst the polytheists. Surely my prayer, my sacrifice, my life and my death are all for Allah. The Lord of the worlds, no associate has he, and this am I commanded. O Allah, thou the king, there is no God but thee. Thou my Lord, and I am thy servant. I have been greatly unjust to myself, and I confess my faults. So grant me protection against all my faults, for none grants protection against faults but thee. And guide me into the best of morals, for none guides into the best of morals but thee. And turn from me the evil and decent morals, for none turns from the evil and the decent morals but thee. O Allah, make Muhammad successful, and the true followers of Muhammad successful, as thou did make Abraham and the true followers of Abraham successful, for surely thou praise and magnify. And O Allah, bless Muhammad, and bless the true followers of Muhammad, as thou did bless Abraham and the true followers of Abraham, for surely thou praise and magnify. Amen. See how the white man did us, dog. They, they let them go and they gonna keep killing us. It ain't gonna never stop, man. I will read this to you. We want our people in America whose parents or grandparents were descendants from slaves to be allowed to establish a separate state or territory of their own either on this continent or elsewhere. We believe that our former slave masters are obligated to provide such land and that the area must be fertile and minerally rich. We believe that our former slave masters are obligated to maintain and supply our needs in this separate territory for the next 20 to 25 years until we are able to produce and supply our own needs. Since we cannot get along with them in peace and equality, after giving them 400 years of our sweat and blood and receiving in return some of the worst treatment human beings have ever experienced, we believe our contributions to this land and the suffering forced upon us by white America justifies our demand for our complete separation in a state or territory of our own. 
Now the honorable all praise is due to Allah. The honorable Elijah Muhammad. I want to have the chance unhindered to teach the time and what must be done to every black man, woman, and child in America. And after we teach that subject, then we should take a vote as to how many of us want to stay with our open enemy or how many of us want to be separated from them in a land of our own. Once again, assalamu alaikum. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the most merciful, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah who came to us in the person of Master Farad Muhammad, to whom praise is due forever, and raising up in our midst a divine leader, teacher, and guide in the person of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, and leaving with us today that one that we love to see and love to hear, the God with the guidance, the Messiah in our midst, the honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, I greet everyone once again in a greeting where it's a peace and paradise of assalamu alaikum. I know it's COVID, but we want to celebrate Savior's Day. So happy Savior's Day, the 144th birth of our Savior, Master Farad Muhammad. I know we are excited. It is Savior's Day, but we're going to go right into our program. So help me introduce the sister that will introduce that sister that is our national spokesperson for the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. So help me bring our sister, Sister Bahia, with her introduction. Assalamu alaikum. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah, and I also bear witness that Allah appeared to the black man and woman in North America in the person of Master Fraud Muhammad, to whom all praise is forever due. I thank Master Fraud Muhammad for coming by himself 9,000 miles to save the black man and woman. We also thank Master Fraud Muhammad for raising up one among us, his messenger Messiah, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, and also raising up his perfected representative, the honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. We are forever grateful for their intervention in our affairs, and in their names, I greet you all with the greeting words of peace of Asim Lakum, and happy Savior's Day. I would also like to emphasize this point number four in the Muslim program declared by the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. Quote, we want our people in North America whose parents or grandparents were descendants from slaves to be allowed to establish a separate state or territory of their own, either on this continent or elsewhere, <laughs> sorry. We believe that our former slave masters are obligated to provide such land and that area must be fertile and minerally rich. 
We believe that our former slave masters are obligated to maintain and supply our needs in this separate territory for the next 20 to 25 years until we are able to produce and supply our own needs. Since we cannot get along with them in peace and equality after giving them 400 years of our sweat and blood and receiving in return some of the worst treatments human beings have ever experienced, we believe our contributions to this land and the suffering forced upon us by white America justifies our demand for complete separation in a state or territory of our own, end quote. I would like to bring up a spiritually and mentally beautiful sister, a sister who has helped me evolve from a child mentality and has guided me to a state of understanding of the teachings in more depth than how I started. A sister who wants to bring the nation to an elevated place of separation and properly develop a nation of gods. This powerful sister has been traveling all over the nation in person and virtually to aid and bring awareness to our community. Please help me receive and welcome the national spokesperson for the Minister Louis Farrakhan, Minister Sister Ava Mohammed. In the most holy name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, we give praise and thanks to Allah for coming to us, the black men and women in America, in the person of Master Farid Muhammad, whose birth we celebrate with joy today. We thank him for raising in our midst the exalted Christ, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. We are forever thankful to them both, for we would not know them were it not for the man in our midst. The man who represents the highest attribute of Allah, which is mercy. He is in fact the Jesus, the Messiah in our midst. The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. I greet all of you in the words of peace of I Salaam Alaikum. Happy Savior's Day. All <laughs> oh, praises due to Allah. How strong is the foundation? Can we survive? The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan wrote in the revelatory course, Self-Improvement, the Basis for Community Development, and I quote, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad asked the question, how strong is the foundation, can we survive? The foundation is the 44 years of the work of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and its successes. We're not here tonight, beloved, because of failure. We're here tonight because of success. Allah God never fails to keep his promise. Our only responsibility, though it's easier said than done, is to obey his commands. The work of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad at the forefront 
of the immeasurable volume of that work is the demand that Sister Bahia just read that America let go of the descendants of her former slaves. Only if we leave will we be able to obey God's command to us, come out of her, my people. In June 2018, the Nation of Islam initiated a series of town halls around the country to discuss separation. These town hall meetings were predominantly black. And in some cities such as Phoenix, Arizona and Los Angeles, California, they included a large turnout of the indigenous people of this continent, the red and the brown. We traveled with a team to 21 cities. And that team was made up of Muslims who not only volunteered to be part of this, but paid their own way to help take part in this great day that our parents prayed would come. The final city that we held a town hall in was Detroit, Michigan last year at Savior's Day 2020 at the legendary Shrine of the Black Madonna. The meetings were paused due to COVID-19. The response to the town hall meetings has been overwhelming. Savior's Day 2020, one year ago, was entitled The Unraveling of a Great Nation. Two weeks after Minister Farrakhan delivered that message, all hell broke loose in America and she moved into the last stage of her fall. It is in progress at this moment. The words of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are now in force. He said to the black man and woman, Allah will make you separate. We are past the mercy given to us by Allah and his Christ through the presence of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan as a spiritual leader. He is now the commander in chief and the head of the new black nation, bringing in a new reality. The teaching is done. It is time to act on what we have been taught. And all praise is due to Allah. And now separation is being forced upon us. We are in the fulfillment of time and the events of 2020 confirm the words that Sister Bahia Muhammad just read of four, point number four of the Muslim program. Beloved, you know we're not racist. We're not haters. It is this world that is based upon a belief in the superiority of, superiority of white over black. There can be no new world until the destruction of inferiority in black and superiority in white. 
the Honorable Elijah Muhammad through the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan stands between these two powerful attitudes. A written law of white superiority and an unwritten law of black inferiority. A light-giving sun. The minister is exposing this condition at its root for what it is and he is breaking up the mental attitudes that brought it about. And now we have reached the ceiling of potential that will always deny us full access to our complete spectrum of creativity and productivity. Most important, we will never access our true nature, which is to submit to the will of God as long as we live with the rebel against the will of God. The hatred and the contempt of the white man for the black man has not lessened, it has increased. So we will now, beloved, look at a very small but dramatic facet of the reality of what it is to be black in white America yesterday and today. Any rational person must agree that we have no choice but to go for self in a completely separate territory where we control our health, our education, our welfare, grow our own food, and maintain our safety. That is the only way we survive, is on the foundation of the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And Minister Louis Farrakhan said these words, as long as we live with white people, we will live under white people. Let's roll the film, please. Between the 1870s and the beginning of World War I, black pioneers settled more than 100 all-black towns in the West, each with the goal of economic independence. Among the most well-known was a black district in Tulsa, Oklahoma, known by its residents as Greenwood. If we were to go back in time to 1920, and walk up and down Greenwood Avenue. One thing that would probably strike us is the absolute variety of businesses. The numbers are astonishing. 30 restaurants, 45 groceries and meat markets. There were dry goods stores, milliners, a photography studio, dental offices. Greenwood is no longer called Greenwood. It's now known as Black Wall Street. This whole idea of self-containment really existed there. The dollar would stay in that community sometimes over three, five years before it ever went outside of the community. In 1919, 
black soldiers returned from World War I with high expectations for racial progress at home. But in one city after another, white mobs erupted in violence, targeting black veterans, citizens, and businesses. Hundreds died. On Tulsa's Black Wall Street, African Americans, including armed veterans, watched nervously and prepared for what might come. Countering this white militancy is very much an African American spirit of, we're going to defend ourselves. If the mob comes, we're not going to run. We've got our guns, and we're going to protect ourselves. And that was especially important and valuable and potent in Greenwood. On May 30th, 1921, the mob came to Greenwood. This white woman is in an elevator, and this black teenager allegedly whistles at her or talks to her. He is taken to jail. A mob gathers of whites and blacks, and blacks in Tulsa are armed. They take their Second Amendment rights seriously, and they come with guns. And this is a threat. Someone fires into the crowd, and the riot is born. This was not about the whistling boy in the elevator. This was about blacks becoming too economically powerful and showing that wealth in a way that anyone would by creating buildings and constructing churches and having property. There was a, a whistle that blew, and then the mass invasion and the destruction of Greenwood began. When the smoke cleared in the early morning of June 1st, 1921, Black Wall Street lay in ruins. This is by far the largest single incident of racial violence in all of American history. We generally call it the catastrophe because we feel like it wasn't a riot. We didn't. We were not the perpetrators. We were the victims. <laughs> but it took 80 years to get the state of Oklahoma to acknowledge that. The Tulsa Race Massacre is believed to be one of the worst incidents of racial violence in American history. From May 31st to June 1st in 1921, as many as 300 people were killed, hundreds were injured, and thousands of buildings were destroyed. On June 1st, they began to systematically destroy neighborhoods. And they had airplanes dropping things down on people's houses. And they had made up their minds to clear the entire area of black people. It started after a newspaper reported a black man tried to sexually assault a white woman. Though it's still uncertain what exactly happened, many did not believe that story. The Oklahoma Historical Society said the most common explanation is Dick Rollins stepped on Sarah Page's foot when he entered the elevator, causing her to scream. A group of armed black men went to the courthouse to offer help protecting Rollins once they heard talks of lynching. A crowd of white men was also on the scene. A shot was fired and the riots began. My parents were very distressed because here they are with five kids and the schools had been, I went to Dunbar School, and that was reduced to just rubble. I mean, they blew it up. Crowds of white rioters went to the Greenwood District, known as Black Wall Street. 
It was home to an affluent African-American community with banks, hotels, theaters, and new homes. They took my eight-year-old brother, too, where they were holding all the black men. And we didn't know because we lived on one side of town and they lived on the other. We thought they were locking up the non-blacks, too. But it so happened that it didn't occur that way. What they did was to disarm and lock up all black men. And then they said to the mob, there's nothing out there now but women and children, so you can do whatever you want to do. And that was when the real terrible things started to happen. It ended when the city was placed under martial law and National Guard troops were deployed. But Black Wall Street was devastated. Survivors never received compensation for what they lost. Thanks for watching. The use of force against peaceful protesters is exactly connected to this legacy of, of slavery and of the massacre. The first shot rings off and it's a white casualty as he tried to disarm um, a black veteran. And then all, you know, that's when the chaos broke out. And so over time through the night, you know, shooting and killing uh, through the morning where uh, the governor uh, declared martial law and um, National Guard troops descend in addition to local law enforcement and uh, began to take Black people out of their homes um, and wrap them up into internment camps. And that facilitated the destruction and burning of the Greenwood neighborhood. These communities were wealthy, wealthy Black communities um, that were thriving. And you look at Greenwood today, and if you walked, if you wanted to find Black Wall Street, you know, unfortunately, you'd 
you'd probably be standing under the Interstate 244 overpass looking like, where is it? You know, because it, it doesn't exist in the way that it did before. Greenwood was a, you know, black owned, black fund founded, black funded town. Um, they did it themselves and without any help from the government. And then they rebuilt themselves after mass destruction without the help of the government. What does that say about us? And when, you know, when does the cutoff for oppression and injustice come in? Like how long are we gonna allow these conditions to, to bubble, to exist in a place where we claim freedom for all? Um, some people are not free in these systems and we have to address that meaningfully and with the adequate resources. Reparations will not fix um, everything. It will not solve equality. However, reparation is economic justice. Reparation is repair. And you have to repair things before they get better. The Tulsa Race Massacre was not a riot. Um, what we're seeing today are not riots. That is inappropriate language that doesn't characterize what's happening. Um, these are rebellions and uprisings against a culture of white supremacy, against an oppressive police force, police state, and also these converging inequalities that people, that Black people and poor people in particular cannot seem to escape. Slavery didn't end because someone was like, oh, we should stop, you know, exploiting Black people. Um, it ended because people, enslaved people, raised up in rebellions against what was an oppressive and dehumanizing system. So tonight, we're not um, here to try to persuade anyone to accept the directives of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the Muslim program. The Nation of Islam has been here for 90 years. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad, 44 years, and now the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, who has sacrificed himself, his family, to first rebuild the nation of Islam and now confront the enemy face to face as he did July the 4th of 2020 in the Criterion and make it clear 
that we will no longer accept death. And so tonight, this discussion is to begin to get into the foundational support and provide information so that we can begin to look seriously into separation. And as Minister Farrakhan always says to me, it's a process. It's a process. We have to remove the vestiges of feelings of fear and inferiority that make us hesitate. What you saw on that film left scars that exist to this day, deep-seated scars that can only be removed by Allah, God himself. And he is removing them through a series of commandments. And we must first go among ourselves. And so we have tonight pre-recorded videos and we have brothers and sisters here in the mosque who are active separators. And what I mean by that, they are following Minister Farrakhan's call at the 20th anniversary of the Million Man March, Justice or Else, when he said, make your own communities a safe and decent place to live. When the minister says things, we have to turn what he says over and over and over in our mind because there's depth to what he says, just as there is depth to what his teacher says. They are speaking the English language, but it is revelation from the Lord of the worlds. And therefore, therefore it is completely true and truth is substance. And so when he said, make your own communities, I kept thinking on that, that our own communities are not these colonies called ghettos or hoods that white people have designated for us. Our own community is a community where we control everything from the dirt all the way up to the education of our children, growing our food, our businesses. And our brothers and sisters that you saw in that film, they did this right out of slavery because the settlements out in Oklahoma started in the 1870s, shortly after the end of civil war. We have no excuse. Our problem is our mentality. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad warned us not to accept the false hypocritical offer of integration. We accepted it anyway, and now we're other than ourselves. But at our root, we are still ourselves. And we will go back to submission to the will of God. So we're going to move ahead. And now that we've seen that powerful visual, we're in a mood to fix our mind on some solutions. And remember, it's a process. It's not gonna happen overnight. So the brothers and sisters here and the ones you will see on film, they are actively engaged in the process of independence. I want to in, uh, introduce to you, and he will be with us by video, 
Brother Donnie Muhammad of Raleigh, North Carolina. Brother Donnie Muhammad is a successful entrepreneur with an iconic career. He's been a stockbroker, pharmaceutical sales representative, mortgage broker, and educator. He is a pioneer who invented and marketed an incredibly successful line of gluten-free foods in 1996, long before the gluten-free craze hit the United States. Over the past 20 years, his gluten-free products continue to be extremely popular with consumers. He has a dual bachelor's degree in science and psychology and has headed a plethora of community organizations in Canada and the United States over the past 30 years. He lived in Canada for over a decade with his wife of 40 plus years, sister Dr. Cynthia Muhammad and their two children. Brother Donnie's work with some of America's top Fortune 500 companies, such as General Motors, is what he brings to this process. And that is the charter school movement. Torchlight Academy was built in 2002 when Brother Donnie and Sister Dr. Cynthia were asked to take over a failing charter school just days away from losing its charter. It is now one of the most popular and successful charter schools serving impoverished children in Raleigh, North Carolina. Torchlight Academy now serves over 500 students, kindergarten through grade seven, and they recently ranked number one in student academic growth in math and reading among all charter schools in the state of North Carolina. Products of the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad under Minister Louis Farrakhan. So please welcome by video, and he's going to explain some very uh, valuable techniques to you, Brother Donnie Muhammad. The personal master, the master of you, Muhammad, the one to whom all holy phrases do forever. I bear witness that the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, that he is the Messiah, the exalted Christ. And I further bear witness that the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan is a divine grace and water amongst us. I greet you once again, assalamualaikum. Um, I thank you for allowing me this opportunity to talk about education and its role in separation. Separation being the best and only solution. <clears throat> so if that be the case, then education certainly has to play a part in this. And it is important, I think, for us to really look deeply into education um, in terms of its root uh, cause and its very important part of, of the, the mission. Um, at the root of education, uh, its intent is to extract the light from the student, the light that is a divine gift that is already 
endowed, the student is already endowed with. And uh, the use of mathematics, the use of reading, the use of science to extract those great gifts. And uh, that uh, root is what we have to look at, at least from my perspective, I look at the overall big picture that after 400 years of servitude, that a message and a messenger uh, would come together, the messenger and that message being ahead of those, that, that group of recipients who would most receive that message. And that's who I believe we are dealing with today. Our future, our young generation <clears throat> that uh, we're responsible for. And it's not gonna happen any other way, but with us taking control and taking the reins, particularly when it comes to education. I can recall very vividly how I was miseducated or misdirected personally. Uh, when I was in elementary school, wanted to go to high school to be a scientist. I told my teachers and my guidance counselor specifically I wanted to be a scientist. And um, I was guided to a vocational school, um, which demonstrates the, how students with the best intention, if they're not receiving the proper guidance, can be uh, led astray uh, off their desired path, but certainly on the divine path that uh, uh, we and I have been given. <clears throat> so with that being said, um, talk a little bit about the charter school um, movement across the country. There are still several states in, in, in the United States that don't allow charter schools or charter schools are fairly restricted, but they are gaining popularity across all political spectrums and uh, across the states. Uh, every president of late has supported charter schools, whether they be Republican or Democrat. And these uh, uh, supporters uh, continue to allow ch the charter school um, movement to grow and uh, to impact uh, education such as, as it is today and educational choice particularly. <coughs> And so a charter school is a deregulated public school. Many times there are uh, extensive applications. I know in North Carolina the application can be as many as 150 to 250 pages. Um, there's usually a fee that's associated with this application. And there's a long process that you, you have to go through. And uh, we've been successful in, in establishing four charter schools in the state of North Carolina and taking others through that process. Um, uh, it does allow you to uh, teach uh, with some flexibility to the standard course of study uh, and students are expected to pass an integrated test, uh, but uh, it allows you flexibility to teach, uh, for instance, our language program where we teach Arabic, Spanish, um, and Chinese, uh, or allow you to teach black history, which we do. Uh, we have a black history moment every day. Uh, so there are concentrations that uh, will allow you to kind of um, tailor the program to the needs of the community uh, or to the vision of the, the board members who desire to put a school in, in that area. Um, <clears throat> certainly there'll be many regulations and the like that you will have to 
be able to navigate in order to continue to operate as a charter. The charter is a contract between the state and the, the board or the, um, the entity that's actually running the school. And so that's where that chart, the word charter comes in, that's that it's a contract. And so in order to continue to, uh, um, for that contract to be viable, you have to comply with the uh, uh, um, codes of ethics and uh, uh, compliance, uh, regulatory compliance uh, associated with the charter. Um, but then there are other schools, of course, our private schools, like, like we experience across our nation and across the country. Uh, of late, private schools have been able to receive uh, public monies. Uh, the Su Supreme Court recently uh, um, decided in favor of private schools receiving public funds and that those funds should follow the student. So state funds, federal funds uh, can be received. Uh, by religious organizations, religious schools, private schools, and uh, they are with far fewer regulations and uh, no one really determines whether uh, or not <coughs> uh, uh, what, what you teach, uh, whether that, that information is, has a religious base or not. Um, and so that is something that certainly we can take advantage of those who want to establish schools in the state of North Carolina, we call them opportunity scholarships. In other states, they're called other things, but it is uh, federal. Um, and of course, with the pandemic, there have been other uh, innovations about education. Uh, pods have been created where small groups of families can come together with four or five or six or 10 students and come together and do some teaching there. Um, mastermind classes where you're bringing in master teachers that are experts in their field and that can can bring a, a specific contribution or a specific view uh, to your pod or even into your your homeschool classes and of course homeschooling schooling is a very important part of, uh, of independent education of choice and um, of uh, going our own way <coughs> and um, Homeschooling, uh, homeschool students and uh, homeschooling uh, has uh, some tremendous statistical uh, facts to back up the, the efficacy of homeschooling. And uh, you should avail yourself to that and uh, become knowledgeable around that. Because let's face it, this process will take place in various parts of the country and there will be various needs. That's why in America today, there are school boards all across the country and those individual school boards make the decisions for the local community. So it'll be something similar uh, to the way it is being done now. Um, and so many, many opportunities to um, uh, infuse uh, and change and design education in a way that will benefit, benefit our community and benefit the movement uh, that we have committed ourselves to. Um, I want to thank you for allowing me this opportunity and uh, may Allah continue to bless each and every one of us with his divine guidance and our presence. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum.
During uh, the pandemic, we were given an opportunity to stop and think, to think about another reality. And um, as you heard Brother Donnie just say, there are various options that we can avail ourselves to as we move toward complete independence. As Minister Farrakhan uh, spoke last year, uh, well not last, it's 2019 now, to NCOBRA at the reparations uh, conference, Reparations is actually land. This is what is owed to us. Because if you don't control the dirt that you're standing on, then whoever does control that dirt controls you. When we rent property, we rent it from what? A landlord, the Lord of the land. And so we have to start thinking about taking baby steps and not underestimate our ability as an individual joining on with six to eight or more others who are very committed and very serious about not condemning another generation of our children to the devastation that white America has made in this country, not only to us, but to her own people. And so it gives me great pleasure uh, to introduce to you now uh, two of our panelists who are here uh, in the mosque who you know, or should know, you will know tonight uh, very well. And I want to uh, start uh, by introducing uh, our panelists, Brother uh, Shahid Mohammed. And Brother Shahid is currently a full-time mathematics instructor at Muhammad University of Islam. Brother Shahid was formerly a professor of mathematics at Malcolm X College in Chicago. He graduated from Lincoln University with a master's degree in mathematics and received his Bachelor of Science degree in mathematics education from Penn State University. He is the author of the book, How to Teach Math to Black Students and a series of instructional math DVDs and workbooks that are sold around the country. Brother Shahid conducts workshops and seminars on the topic of improving the mathematics literacy of inner city youth. He is affectionately known as the math doctor and has created his own online math courses for children and adults and provides mathematics instruction, tutoring and college preparatory training for schools and individuals. And so please, uh, we want to hear from him now, and then later we'll have a full panel discussion. But please welcome our brother, brother doctors, the math doctor, Shahid Muhammad. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the most merciful, 
Bear witness, there's no God but Allah who came in the person of Master Fahd Muhammad. Bear witness, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad is the Mahdi today, and the honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan is our is Allah's Messiah in our midst today. I greet you all with the greeting words of peace. Assalamu alaikum. Thank Allah for our beloved sister, Dr. Ava Muhammad, for the invitation. Definitely humbled by the invitation. But um, it's a blessing that my wife and I are invited to be on the panel because we were blessed to um, actualize the uh, order that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad gave us that we need to get land. The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan gave us the same order to get land. And the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us in the message to the black man that a people cannot exist freely without land. So it has been a desire for my wife and I for years to acquire some land. And we really wanted to get a certain amount of acreage where we could start and make and design our own Muslim village. We weren't able to get as many as we wanted in terms of acreage, but Allah blessed us to get five acres in New Buffalo. Praise be to Allah. I don't know how much you want me to go through in, in this introduction piece, but we uh, have plans. We have already get, have a name for the place. It's called Algena Farm and Steam Educational Center. And Algena, <laughs> praise be to Allah. Algena is the Arabic word for paradise or garden. It is our desire, my wife and I, to transform those five acres into a paradise and garden for one, our children in particular, but for really all of our people. It is a, it's, going to, it's going to be an educational center with agribusiness, teaching botany, learning labs that will teach our children science, technology, arts, engineering, and mathematics. We plan to have hiking trails, walking trails, obstacle courses. We plan to teach cultural dance, meditation, uh, agroforestry, water purification, and we plan to use every square inch to make a profit and be productive. We want to be totally self-sufficient. So we want solar, we want wind on the farm that Allah blessed us to have. We wanna be able to sell the timber because it does have a lot of woods on it. We wanna be able to sell the produce from the fruit trees because it has fruit trees on it. We wanna be able to rent out um, space for anyone that might have trucks, anyone that might need a place to park something. We want to use every square inch of that land. So we are, praise be to Allah, we now are accepting donations. So I guess I'll go ahead and put the public service announcement there and then pass the mic. But if you go to themathdr.com and then click Algena Farm and Education Center, you will see the web page that has information about the land. There's even a video that I did uh, showing you the land and then there's a place for you to donate. And we also give you some information about some of the things I just said, what our plans are for the land. So I just wanna thank Sister Dr. Ava, thank you all for this opportunity for my wife and I to be on the panel. Praise be to Allah. And of course, seated next to Brother Shahid is his beautiful wife, Sister Shahida Muhammad. She is a former, all praise be to Allah. 
She's a former instructor at MUI, Muhammad University of Islam in Chicago for 10 years. And she is currently the directress of Muhammad's Mathematics, Science and Engineering Academy. Sister Shahida was inspired by the words of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the book, Closing the Gap, where she was exposed to the thinking of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan to provide accelerated educational services for children beginning at the age of two and a half years old. She has been in the education field for 25 years. Please welcome Sister Shahida Muhammad. Thank you. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, I bear witness there is no God but Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad is indeed his messenger. Assalamu alaikum and happy Savior's Day. I'm so accustomed to teaching and talking to little people, so this is, a, this is a little bit odd for me, but I am absolutely passionate about what I do because I see the relevance um, for it for our nation. And uh, Shahid is actually being modest because with the land um, that we acquired, the ultimate goal is a boarding school for our children. Um, and we have taught many children at Muhammad University of Islam that are now parents themselves. And it is absolutely an honor and a pleasure to see that we're teaching another generation of children that's gonna take this nation further. Now, when uh, Dr. Ava is talking about the accelerated program, and I thank Allah and I can never thank him enough for giving us these teachings because I wanted to see something more for our children, which is why I started MMSEA. And when I tell you these children are absolutely gods in all sense of the word, they are. And so I don't want, and we don't want our children to be limited. So when I read in Closing the Gap that the minister said, the messenger said that they should have their PhDs at 18, I said, yes. We're going to prove the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And so far, we have a former student of MMSEA that has two degrees, two master's degrees, and she's 14 years old, going to work on a PhD. So um, I, I'm just so thankful and so honored because we must stop limiting our children. They are capable of being out of high school at the age of 12. It's not pushing them, they're gods. And the messenger said it should be done and what the messenger said will be done. And so I thank you so very much, Dr. Ava, for this opportunity. Law Akbar. <laughs> We are taught that the Caucasian has a six ounce brain and the uh, original man has a seven and a half ounce brain. We are taught that the six ounces is the 6,000 year period of rule beyond which he cannot go. His knowledge is limited and the time is up. This is why you see his world coming apart and the COVID-19 pestilence 
has exposed the severe mental limitations uh, in the incompetence. You couple that with the falsehood that he is made by Dr. Yacoub to tell, you have a complete collapse of this reality. And so we who live beyond the six and we're in the seven and beyond, seven and a half means the original man moves into the dawn and into the new reality. But we don't just do that because we're melanated. We do that because we are in submission to the will of the God. We rebelled 66 trillion years ago and our rebellion was so dramatic that it blew away a part of this planet. And Minister Farrakhan said that the father of Moon was crazed. He was a crazed God, a crazed scientist. And this enraged the originator so much that he withdrew himself from the public, meaning he could not, the minister said, be approached. Over eons of time, he became a mystery. And we found ourselves worshiping a mystery God. And the minister said, Minister Farrakhan said, that it was the suffering of our fathers and mothers in bondage that touched him and made him decide it was time to make himself known. Because in our suffering, we yearned for God. We desired him again. And we are ready to submit to his will so that we will never suffer like this ever again. But if we don't have that mindset of distancing ourselves from the enemies of God, then we will not be acceptable to him. We are going to hear now from Sister Dr. Cheryl E. Mango, who spoke both at the town hall separation in Richmond, Virginia, uh, and also at Savior's Day at the Shrine of the Black Madonna. She is a published scholar and a current tenure track assistant professor of history at Virginia State University, where she mentors students, serves on a number of faculty committees, and plays an integral role in helping the university continue on its upward trajectory. At Virginia State University, she teaches an array of black history courses, including Islam in the African-American experience, HBCU history, hip hop history, and the history of Africa. She completed four academic degrees before she was 30 years old in history and arts and political science from Grambling State University, Masters of Arts in History from Louisiana Tech, and in 2016 completed her PhD in history at Morgan State, 
with concentrations on the African diaspora, 20th century U.S. history, and interned in the White House initiative on historically black colleges and universities during the Obama presidency. And she is now working on an academic book focusing on black colleges. Her other research is black liberationist religions, politics, and their intersections with social media. While working as an assistant professor of history at Grambling, she was the inaugural Nation of Islam student organization faculty advisor. And during that time, she helped oversee a visit to the campus from our student minister, Nuri Muhammad. She is engaged now to her longtime companion, Delton Fontroy, and they have a son named Mandela. Please welcome, by way of video, Sister Dr. Cheryl Mango. Greetings, family, and happy Savior's Day. I am Dr. Cheryl Mango, the current Assistant Professor of History at Virginia State University, former of Nation of Islam, student organization, faculty advisor at Grambling State University, and founding creator of the HBCU Studies Academic Discipline. It's an honor and a privilege to join you again to discuss a critical approach to dealing with the problems resulting from the human trafficking, human captivity, and attempted theft of the entire Black body, mind, spirit, and culture. I would like to personally thank Dr. Ava Muhammad and all of the NOI for bringing this critical question of separation from the place of our captivity in an attempt to regain our sovereignty. As a historian of the African and African-American experience, it's a bittersweet reality to restate that at this juncture in our history, we are not dead. In fact, questions of separation, like the one the NOI has kept at the forefront of our consciousness, lets me and us know that many of us are in fact alive and sensible enough to know that coming to terms with our oppression does not have to mean further assimilating into oppression. In fact, since the NOI's popular campaign against what many may call the irrationality of chasing what's an often mirage of equality, the community has witnessed an uptick in a turn inward, meaning depending on self to secure liberating freedom. A freedom where ownership and control does not come from asking those who gain their control and ownership by owning and controlling you to give you a bit of ownership and control. You don't have to beg for what is your birthright as the first human beings on earth and the creators of humanity itself. 
This type of freedom that's in discussion is one that seeks to reclaim the glorious history that nature gave to us, the mothers and fathers of civilization itself. The question of separation leads to the act of separation. The examples are numerous from Black people of all ages separating and returning to Africa, to NBA and NFL players discussing the need for the creation of their own leagues, to Deion Sanders and other prominent Blacks consciously choosing HBCUs and choosing to give to HBCUs, to Black collectives buying land in America to foment their own independent community. So please remember that history is a process, just as the making of the slave, the Negro, the Black, the Afro-American, and now the African-American was a process. And similarly, the unmaking of the slave, the Negro, the Black, the Afro-American and African-American in terms of the oppression ingrained in those identities will also be a process. So celebrate your victories as you continue to work towards securing an everlasting freedom. It's okay to acknowledge the few joys and amenities that you may enjoy in this reality because a Black Renaissance is in progress. Yes, it's often compromised, but it's never eradicated because it's located in our minds, bodies, and spirits and created by nature. So in victory and in power, I wish you all peace and blessings and again, a happy Savior's Day. Enjoy and thank you. You know, all through this pandemic, um, wealthy Caucasian people who have developed, and you see them all around this country, the little enclaves in our cities that are cities within the city. And there are no fences or walls, but it is clear we are unwelcome. And they have built areas as we built what is called Black Wall, uh, Black Wall Street, or what was before they leveled it, the Greenwood community in Tulsa that you saw at the beginning of this in the video. So that when you wake up in the morning, just about everything you need is right outside your home or within walking distance. And while the Chicago public school system and the teachers union fought and argued and continue to fight and argue about how to keep the schools open, close the school, they never stopped having in-person instruction. 
because they have the type of facilities and space and they maintain a certain quality of building materials, air filtering, etc. And I remember one day I was driving uh, near uh, somewhere around in the South Loop and I made a wrong turn and I ended up on this little side street and some of you may have seen it before, but it, it's called the British School. The British School of America or in America. And I looked up that school on Google <laughs> when I got home because this is at the peak of, of the pandemic when everything's closed and these little white children are out on the playground and their teachers, but everybody's observing all the guidelines, but it's this lovely little area with trees and these little children are protected. They're getting sufficient attention. And I went home and I looked that school up and the tuition is something, somewhere in the neighborhood of $40,000 a year. You know, my husband and I have a daughter, Sister Sherelle, at, Sister Sherelle at Howard University. They're right up there with Howard University, competing with Howard University. But wait a minute, that's tuition. And they tell you very plainly on the website, this does not include uniforms, field trips, and anything we do outside. I don't think it even includes books and supplies. That's just to be here, all right? But what they do is they follow the messenger's teaching of self first, except they don't follow then others. And so this is, <laughs> this is how we have to think. We can't use the Caucasians educational system and what they do to handle situations because they don't have a solution to this problem. The minister told them, you will never solve the problem of this pestilence because your scholarship is from hell and the solution is in heaven. Well, we are seeking to get that solution, but heaven is to, as we are taught in the revelatory study guides, rising above emotion into the thinking of Allah. Now there is a process by which you are educated into how God thinks. And I'm telling you, there is nowhere, there's no school of thought, there's no ideology, theology, there is nothing in this world outside of what we are being given by Allah through Minister Farrakhan that can take us from being man to God. There is nothing else. When it comes to Master Father Muhammad, it really is his, it really is his way or no way at all. And so now we're moving from education quickly into land acquisition. And I wanna to introduce to you also by video, a young man who is a third generation member of the nation of Islam. 
And his whole family, grandparents, parents on both sides, are all active. His siblings, you know some of them. This is one of those beautiful Muslim families right up out of Plainfield, New Jersey. Remember them from the other night in the meeting? Uh, this is a giving group of soldiers. They're very serious about Islam, and his name is Michael Muhammad. He is, and his wife, Sister Aniqua, and I don't even think, they might be 30. If they are, they're slightly over the age of 30. They have five children, and they own and, and operate MSGLV Farms. They went out on faith. They went out on their commitment to this mission and their desire to be helpers to the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. And so we're going to hear from him and then we're going to be treated uh, to a video, some video footage of what he and uh, Brother Michael and Sister Nikwa have done. So brothers and sisters, uh, please welcome by video, Brother Michael Muhammad. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, my name is Brother Michael J.H. Muhammad, and I greet you all with the greeting words of peace, of assalam alaikum, happy Savior's Day 2021, and I thank the beloved student minister, Dr. Ava Muhammad, for granting me with this opportunity to simply talk about what me and my wife are doing in regards to acquisition of some land. Um, in August of 2019, the thought, the inspiration came into mind where I said, you know, I don't want to rent no more. I want to be a landlord. I want to own my own. I don't want neighbors on top of me. And I want to do what the minister is telling us to do. So we went out and got us a real estate agent and started searching. I only thought that acre, a one acre would be, you know, that one acre was kind of more or less the, the, the goal. And because um, I didn't really foresee that I can, you know, really be qualified for anything more than that or be able to get anything more than that. Um, but a lot so different. Um, as the time went on, um, it got down to about December 2019, where we would conquer 22 acres of producing land by Allah's permission. And we met with the owner and I kind of want to go back a little bit. The previous owner had this house, this land on the market since 2012. Not one person stepped foot on this property to show interest in seven years. He was selling the property because he bought this home with his wife and they were retirees. And, um, you know, this was their retirement home. They were, this was their dream home. And um, there was a, a fatal accident where the uh, wife died in the passenger seat of the car and he survived as the driver. And uh, he was depressed and he wanted to get rid of it. He just didn't want the property no more. He was a, a older Jewish man in his seventies also named Michael. And um, he sold us, he said, you know, this was me and my wife's dream home, but it now belongs to you. I'm gonna move to a studio apartment somewhere and die there. He said, there's so many things I could tell you about this property, but I won't. You will find it in due season. 
We didn't know what he was talking about. Come March, we found out exactly what he was talking about. Things started blossoming. Peaches and plums and olives and grapes and raspberries, blueberries, um, strawberries, um, uh, red potatoes beneath the, uh, the soil, just hundreds and thousands of them, you know? So we started seeing Allah's favor come into fruition. And it was a beautiful thing because we didn't even want 22 acres. We didn't want that much. We, I mean, we wanted it. We just didn't know we can get it. We only saw an acre in our, in our mind. And Allah increased the reward because we stepped out on some faith. We looked at our back patio door the first day we were here and said to each other, me and my wife, who I thank her so much because she's the, the fuel the the motivation the energy the spirit that pushed me through the fear of the unknown she pushed me through my threshold and she didn't have to do much she just had to be herself she wasn't like pushing me with words or with you know necessarily with with action she was just being an mgt and her energy fed me her, her beauty, her heart, her love for me fed me and it pushed me into the unknown and we were able to acquire the greatness, the reward. Um, we looked out our back patio door and we said to each other, we can see a believers here. You know, we don't know how, but we see believers here, whether it be for enjoyment or, you know, here to seek refuge because of something of catastrophic uh, proportions that may have happened in the world. We don't know. We just knew we sort of believe is here. And we started seeing in our mind farm animals on the property. They wasn't even here yet. This is the first day. And um, we're not farmers. You know, we, we both of us didn't grow up on no farm. So this is all new to us. Um, it would be now a couple of months later. You know, I would say, actually, no, it would be now, yeah, March. We, as things is blossoming, we starting to get the, the inspiration to go out and jump into some animal husbandry. Let's go get some some cows and some sheep or some goats and stuff. And, you know, I went on Craigslist and I saw some cows for sale that the Amish was selling, $200 a piece. Jersey cows, two females. And uh, we drive about an hour and a half out to the Amish country. And um, we go to proceed to buy these animals. But the Amish man, you know, he said, I'll deliver these, I could deliver these to you because we ain't got no livestock trailer, nothing to bring them back in. So me, my wife and my children, we drove up obviously uh, to, the, to, the, to the barn, to the farm, um, you know, in the SUV, a little 2008 Mercury Mountaineer, nothing big, just a regular SUV, had no intentions. <laughs> of bringing these cows back home in the SUV that we came in. But the thought came to my mind while I was there, but I wasn't going to ask my wife, you know, hey, you know, baby, you know, um, you want to put these cows in the back? I wasn't going to ask her. So the thought came in, went right out. She said, baby, why would we pay this man some money that we really don't have to travel these animals back home when we are already here? It looked like there's enough space back there. 
put those cows in the back. I said, you serious, baby? She said, why not? We already here. It's only an hour and a half drive. I said, well, let's do it then. The Amish man said, look, I don't care what you do once you're off this uh, property. Once you're off, you can do what you need. It's, it's, it's your responsibility. He said, I could tell you one thing. Your children will have a heck of a story, you know, with having some cows in the back seat. I can tell you they will love it and the cows will love it too. The cows are in the back seat, the back part of our SUV licking on the babies in the car seat and the babies are just loving it. And I'm looking in my, you know, my rear view mirror like, I can't believe there's cows in our vehicle. This ain't dogs, these ain't cats, cows. You hear me? So <laughs> that was the start of just knowing God is with us and we gonna get some enjoyment out of using our creative mind. Believers, I'm telling you, it's, this is the time to do this. We are not farmers. We jumped out. We lost some animals. We're learning. But you know, that's what scientists do. That's what we should be experiencing in this classroom of God anyway. The, the, the trial and error, you know, which will ultimately get us closer to the goal. You know, and, um, I tell you, I lost my job in the middle of the mortgage process. I wasn't going to tell the open enemy that I lost my job. I saw the goal and I said, I don't, you know, this land was stolen from us anyway. Why am I going to tell them, hey, I lost my job. I said, I'm going to keep on going through this process. And listen, it ain't none of their business. I see this 22 acres being ours. It's going to happen. And Allah Wakbar. It happened. It happened. And we like we never could imagine, you know, and, you know, we started going out to the yard and picking off peaches of our own tree and biting into it. And the juices running down our mouths, picking our own raspberries, eating olives and grapes. And the believers started coming and camping with us and experiencing this with us with for the first time right along with us. This, I mean, it was just beautiful because you gotta, gotta think. This is in 2020. The whole year was filled with the pandemic, but we're not experiencing the impact because Allah wanted us to know this was our time. This was our moment. This belongs to us. So some believers that came here who got inspired, Brother Sultan and his wife, Sister Khadija out of Muhammad Mosque number 12, I, I said, hey, I want to buy some land. And we went out and bought some land about eight miles up the road because I wanted some hay. And I initially just wanted to buy some hay, but come to find out the property that was selling hay was also selling the, the farm itself. And I said, why would I buy it? Hey, when I could buy the farm, but I didn't want to go in by myself. Me and the brother and his family went in and bought that too. I tell you, believers, this is our time. This is our time. And I'll say one last thing because my time is over. Because of the pandemic and the circumstances behind it, I did not have to pay any mortgage. I paid one month since we've been here just february the very first month where the first month was due was february of 2020 would have been the only time in in this whole year 
that I paid a mortgage payment. My loan company told me you don't have to pay anything because of of the COVID situation and you, you know, losing your job due to COVID. And they told me today, literally today, because I've been keeping in contact with them. They said you have been given six months more of an extension if you need it. And even after that time, if you still need it, what we will do is add 360 more months to your loan, take away the interest and cut your loan monthly payments in half. You talking about probably paying seven to $800 a month, <laughs> if that's the case. So I just wanna say that to you, that in one year I have not paid nothing but one payment. Why would Allah make his children pay full value for something that was stolen from us? We just gotta put in the effort. God got the rest. Just believe, believers. Go out. Go on Craigslist. Go on Google. Look at some look for some land. Five acres, one acre, whatever. Get it. It's the time. Love you all. Asalaamu Alaikum. Wasn't that exhilarating? <laughs> All praise is due to Allah. Okay, I'm pleased to bring our next panelist to you. And uh, he is here in the mosque, Brother Abdul Akbar. He is the president of Peak, P-E-A-K Enterprise, doing business as Neighborhood Laundromat a company recognized throughout the southeast of Chicago with seven self-service laundry facilities. He was inspired by his father, Mr. Elmer Cargill, in 2007. He re-entered the laundromat business with a renovation project in Chicago's Inglewood community. Opening for business in the spring of 2008, where he successfully maintained and operated the store for several years. The location was the start of which he has expanded businesses to seven locations in Chicago and the South suburban area. He is the president of the African American Laundry Association. And within this group, he is a leading voice to address in the community to address local ordinances that affect the laundry industry. He supports a community activist, Robert Rentria, with his effort in a local and national publication called Barrio that is leading Chicago's inner city use across the country in making better social choices and decisions 
when confronted with opposing conflict. Brother Abdul Akbar has resided in Chicago most of his childhood and adult life on the Southeast side, and he is committed to improving and building our South side communities by creating business opportunities and much needed jobs for the men and women within his laundry facilities. He also has a commitment to educate young people, teaching them the trade of washing machine repair, facility renovation, and removing and installing laundry equipment. And he coaches his employees on customer care and service. Brother Abdul Akbar is a trailblazer in the improvement and redevelopment of Chicago's inner city communities. Please welcome Brother Abdul Akbar. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, all praise are due to Allah and Allah alone. I bear witness that there is no deity deserving of worship but Allah. And I further bear witness that Muhammad is his messenger. I greet all of you brothers and sisters from the nation of Islam with the greeting words of peace. Assalamu alaikum. I am honored and privileged and delighted that I've been given this opportunity to speak to you this evening. I am thankful to Dr. Ava Muhammad for enabling me to be able to sit here as a part of this panel. I am also thankful to Minister Ishmael Muhammad for his many, many days of pulling me together and sharing with me some of the things that could be a possibility to build a community around this center right here at Moss Marion. I am thankful for Imam Sultan Rahman Muhammad for enabling me to be a part of the table talks as an investment and having me go with him in many cities across America to be able to witness some of the things that are existing with our local mosques throughout this country. I am so grateful for that exposure and that opportunity. I am also thankful for our brother here, Brother Abdullah Yassin Muhammad, for befriending me. We were introduced uh, to one another almost two years ago at an event. And I was introduced by Minister Ishmael Muhammad, and it has been a great experience to be able to gather together with this brother and to focus in on economics and business and building something that reflects the image and makes it real of the teachings of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad when he tells us that we must begin to do something for ourselves. We must begin to build a community. And this is what I have embarked upon. I am so grateful to be here in your midst. I want to share with you just a brief, a little bit about myself. I was born and raised in Chatham, 
And I don't know how many people are familiar with the history of Chatham, because Chatham was a mecca of business, of entrepreneurship. As a young boy, I was able to witness my father, Elmer Cargo, ride around through the city streets and control some of the economics that exists within the Woodlawn community, within the Inglewood community, within the South Shore community, within various communities throughout the city of Chicago, and I admired that. But unfortunately, there were other individuals who came into my life that would influence me in a real negative light. Family members who were involved with selling narcotics, greatly influenced by friends of mine that I thought were my friends, but they were just as misguided as I was. I ended up doing something horrific and it had a real negative effect or even more importantly, I think at the same time, a positive effect as well too. Because it was through me being taken off the city streets and confined in what I refer to as the belly of the beast or a cocoon, Allah allowed me to be able to focus in on understanding who I was and the knowledge of who I was. And it was not until being confined in a facility that I saw some men walking down the compound. And I said to myself, I said, who are these people? I said, are they prison staff or are they inmates? Because these brothers look so clean with the suits that were creased, the medallion on the lapel. And I said, man, they glow. Something about them looks so different than everything else that I see all around in this decadent environment that I had been subjected to. One brother told me, he said, I'd like for you to come out and hear the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan in his lecture. And I said, Farrakhan, I've heard of that name. As I drove down Stony Island, I heard of that name, and I remember that star neck crescent as I sat there in the barbershop in Chatham on 83rd and Cottage Grove asking my father, Dad, can you explain to me what this star means in this crescent? He says, oh, son, that's that Muslim stuff. I'm a Republican, and I begin, I work hard in every day for what I do. Don't worry about that. That's the Muslims, and they're doing what they're doing. But I'm a Republican. And my thing is business. But I sat there in prison trying to reflect over what my father taught me. So Brother Ali sat me down. And for the first opportunity, I heard the minister speak. I had never, ever heard a black man talk with that much conviction and authority. And when he spoke, he spoke to my soul said, you have been made into a nigger. We talked about, he talked about the aspect of Jesus saves. And I said, man, I've already heard of that expression, Jesus saves. I mean, I witnessed it all over the community with different church signs, all throughout the ghetto, Jesus saves. So I was very familiar with that. 
but I had no idea that the real Jesus that he was referring to was that slave ship called Jesus who brought our forefathers here to North America's ex-captives. Never heard of that. And I began to question that because I said, well, how come I didn't learn this in school? I went to a seven-day Adventist school, studied four years of the Bible, listened to what they had to say. Why is it that I didn't learn that in school? So I took the time to study during that period of incarceration, studying message to the black man, studying the study guides as a study guide coordinator. And I ultimately said to myself, if Allah would bless me to get out of this situation, I would do whatever I could do in my power to bring into fruition a real community. So I've been blessed to be able to acquire land, a city block in West Woodlawn, which was boarded up, a, a terrible boarded up community that was not producing any income. Minister Ishmael said, try to buy the shopping center across the street. They wouldn't sell it to me. We bought the shopping mall on 71st and Yates, right across the street from the culture center. Well, we have businesses that we're doing business there and we're doing business for our own community. We put a contract in on directly across the street, 7,400 South Stony Island, where we attempt to be able to build a NUA house, NUA, a NOI house, or an embassy house for people. They're telling me that I gotta stop talking. I'm sorry, I know I could be long-winded. I have so much more that I wanted to share with you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share with you some of the work, things that I've been working on. Assalamu alaikum. This project has been a desire of mine for the last two to three years. Uh, we initially started doing business in this community four years ago uh, with a coin laundry facility. And I had thought that perhaps other individuals would come to create economic development within this Woodlawn community, but it never happened. Okay. And my vision was to take over and redevelop the entire block since the Koreans weren't trying to do it, the Arabs weren't trying to do it, and obviously we as a people weren't trying to do it. So our aim is to take this section here from 625 all the way to the next end of the city block, which would be St. Lawrence. This corner would be something dealing with economics. The second business will be dealing with food, because it's dealing with the food desert section that's right next to us over here. We'll be dealing with training for entrepreneurship because I mean, we've got enough job training facilities, but how many entrepreneurs have we produced that would be the ones who would create jobs in various communities? That's what our aim and goal is. And the last section over there will be dealing with uh, health and wellness, uh, medical corner lot is where we're going to be putting the uh, community garden for producing vegetables, fresh vegetables, and we call it an urban, 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 urban garden. So how much space yeah. is this? This will be, this is two city lots. Yeah, we have food deserts uh, throughout the city of Chicago. 
and the aim and purpose to be able to demonstrate uh, to the community that farming and gardening and doing for self connects us to the earth, connects us to nature. And that's something that's really missing within uh, the urban corridor. So our aim and purpose is to develop this section here for uh, farm and garden. Uh, and then, as I indicated, take over the entire city block. We have to give our young people something to do, and it's our job as men to teach these skilled trades to our children. So my, my youngest son is eight years old, and I'm not tech savvy, but I'm, I'm gonna try my best to give you an idea of what he's doing today, all right? So this is, this is some of this land in Louisiana. That's our operator, he's on the dozer. But on the compactor is my eight-year-old boy gonna work all day today with me. I'm gonna coach him the same way you coach a basketball or a football player and he's really good right now. They're gonna he's gonna get us to pass these compaction tests. And uh most of the uh people in my family this trade has been around in my family for years. We do infrastructure work. We're very proud of what we do. Our motto is BE or black excellence. We don't believe that black people should be sitting around begging Caucasians or others to develop their community or to do anything for them. We don't believe in idleness. We don't believe in wasting time. We believe that you should get these little boys and train them really, really fast. At night, the same way Harriet Tugman or Frederick Douglass, these people overcame great obstacles. They had to learn how to read. Well, why not teach our little boys how to read plans? The plans on a construction site are almost like a Bible or a Holy Quran. You repetitiously read the plans and you look at them. Anything that are on those plans is what you're supposed to be doing. And we repetitiously do it over and over again. Let, let, let me, let's go talk to Zayad. Hey, Zayad, you enjoying yourself? What you gonna do, man? I'm gonna build my community and build a new world. How old are you? I'm eight. All right, you heard from him. He's eight years old. He wants to build a new world. Listen, I can tell you, there's plenty of work in our community to do. Just imagine all of those broken down houses, broken down families. We rebuild the families by rebuilding the culture. You don't need a church or a mosque. What you need is a dinner table where you invite people over to start really thinking and talking about what's happening with our families. The men in our community are just too idle. The same way you can go out and teach a young man how to play basketball, play football, jack, jack people, become a gangbanger. We don't need to do any of that. Why don't we teach them skill trades? You know, we can do it. We've done it before. In Louisiana, we had some of the best black skill tradesmen ever. Integration, unfortunately, destroyed a lot of the black business infrastructure and so we have to rebuild it.
this summer, I'm planning on getting more little boys, eight to 14 years old. We'll take eight or, eight or 10 of them, and we intend to train them. My specialty area is infrastructure area, but I have brother, brothers in electricity. I have brothers who are civil engineers. I have brothers who are architects. I have brothers who are great plumbers. I have brothers who are great truck drivers. I have brothers who are in the steel trades. And there's so much work to be done in the black community. Can you imagine how much the world would respect us if we got really serious about building? We don't want to debate about religion because your religion is what you practice. If you treat people right and respect yourself, not just black people will begin to respect us, but a significant amount of Caucasians will respect us. But it's important for us to earn our respect. We need to really work hard. If you're gonna hang around with rappers and these kind of people, they are our people, then we gotta get busy building something. If you're gonna be with football players, then why not tell the football players to link up with the black contractors and begin to build something for our community? So I ain't come to preach or talk. I'm just so thankful that a black woman would put me out in the future so that I could have some children to train. And really, our children are our greatest possession next to God himself. We really need to do everything we can do to take responsibility for our children and our women and try to make a better world for them. I've been farming for uh, four years now, and we've, I've, I've always grew up with uh, having like chickens. We've always had chickens in our backyard. We used to have a, a turkey coop and a chicken coop. Mm -hmm. So I grew up like raising uh, chickens. But at the point that you are now with the series Urban Farming, it's been like four years? Now. Yes, four years. So of course you growing up with chickens and um, for the past four years um, doing the urban farming, of course, the training with um, Will Allen, you're a little more advanced than most of us. Yes. yes um, so what, what is it that you would recommend someone that's interested and sees the importance of, um, you know, producing their own food? What's a good starting point? 
a good starting point if you have like a, like a well-lit house, mm -hmm. like a, light is essential. Um, so you don't want to put uh, any plants, like especially like vegetables in a dark area, they, they don't grow well. Um, you can you can use like some growing lights. Some people do that, or you can just set it by like pot by a window seal that you can get from whatever store I guess in your neighborhood. Um, you can get soil from the from the like the you know whatever store like Home Depot or Tractor Supply or Blaine's Farm and Fleet, which they have here uh, locally, mm -hmm. um, about 30 minutes from here. And you can buy co compost. Or you can, um, if you if you ha if you're not making your own compost like already, we just want to make sure you have the right uh, ratio uh, with that, as far as like uh, potting soil mix and other like types of soils. You want to make sure that's like about half and half okay. for a one to two mix. Because you um, know when you start talking about the ratios, I, I was kind of totally oblivious. Like, how how do I know that? Okay, yeah, one or two mix because you don't. With some plants, they require more more water. They, they, they want water. And some plants don't want a lot of water. Like tomatoes, they can take a good uh, watering. Pepper plants do not like a lot of water. They don't want to sit in water at all. Um, and the, But both of those plants like a lot of heat and a lot of sunlight. And you know, they, they do best in a lot of heat and a lot of sunlight. And just uh, well, with pepper plants, just well-drained soil. Tomatoes plants, it can be a little saturated. Nothing where it's just sitting in water. Nothing like just sitting in water. But um, you can put that, um, even lettuce. Lettuce grows like very, very easy. Uh, lettuce seeds, you just, you can sprinkle those inside of a pot and you can get about four cuttings before you need to like just till it back in your soil or just mix it back in the bottom and just reseed it. And in a few, about a week or two, you'll have some lettuce. Wow. Yeah. So, so can, could you actually, you can actually do that in your home? Yeah, you can actually do that in your home. You don't have so, to go so to the So those three, store. you said tomatoes, lettuce, and... Peppers. Peppers can actually be done. Mm -hmm. Very, very easily grown, like just re like regular household use thing. Household use thing. Vegetables. Oh, praise is due to Allah. As we're coming down to uh, closing out our program, again, the minister's words, make your own community a safe and decent place to live. As we know, we are prey for a predatory uh, law enforcement system in this country and that the police departments here in America originated as slave catchers. And the mentality of police, it remains the same. And it is uh, very difficult because many uh, black police officers who are desirous of keeping the community safe have to function within the current parameter. So we need people with knowledge of how to uh, function in a structured law enforcement system, but one that of course follows our teachings. And what we're learning tonight is we have people in every walk of life. Uh, so when we move into our own territory, fear not about what we're gonna do, who's gonna do this or that. Everything that the Caucasian has and does, he got it from us. And so we're gonna close out with the segment
All praise is due to Allah on, on law enforcement. And I have, I'm very pleased to introduce this panelist. Um, if he doesn't mind me telling his age, he's only 26 years old. And he, he has such profound insight into separation and understanding the totality of what that means and how to appeal to our people, especially our youth, who are hungry and thirsty for what we're about to bring them, which is not only the best and only solution for the problem between black and white, but once we are away, they will begin to have access to their unlimited creativity. And so with that, I want to uh, introduce to you uh, who's here uh, in the mosque on the panel, uh, Brother Cartier X has been a registered member of the Nation of Islam for seven years. He is married with four sons. You're hearing a lot of marriage and family here. Young couples, he's coming back because of the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad through the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. And uh, Brother uh, Cartier, uh, has been on the police force for four years. He recently went viral. You would find him on social media when a bystander, and I, he'll tell you uh, how to find that, when a bystander videotaped Brother Cartier making uh, an arrest, during the arrest, a security guard came up and punched the suspect in the face while he was being handcuffed and held by Brother Cartier. Brother Cartier handcuffed and arrested the security guard. And so, <laughs> not gonna have it, okay? <laughs> the video amassed five million views on social media a few weeks ago because he was suspending, sus defending the rights of the suspect. All right, so it is with great pleasure uh, that I introduce you to Brother Cartier X. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, the witness that there is no God but Allah, who came in the person of Master Father Muhammad, uh, whose birthday we celebrate today. And I further bear witness that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is his exalted Christ, and that the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan is their divine Messiah and our midst. I want to greet the believers with the greeting words of peace. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I want to thank Sister Ava for allowing me to be on the panel. Um, a lot of times, uh, with age, you you tend to feel, you know, what could you actually contribute. And I want to thank her for seeing that um, in me and, and allowing me to be here to contribute. I also want to thank the other panelists, especially uh, Sister Shahida, who um, teaches those four sons that <laughs> Sister Minister Ava mentioned. Um, uh, from a law enforcement perspective, uh, sometimes given the climate that we're in uh, with police, especially if uh, you have the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and you try to 
police are people in the best of manners, you tend to feel, um, or I shouldn't say feel, but you tend to uh, be told or, or, or the claim is made that uh, you selling out, copping out, or the, the, the derogatory uh, look towards you because of the profession as being in law enforcement. But um, I just wanted to kind of reiterate what was said earlier with Sister Shahida and Brother Shahid, what they brought up and what they do with our children, with our youth, with uh, Brother Akbar, is that? Okay, well, excuse me, Brother Akbar, um, and a brother from North Carolina with the farm. The purpose of police um, is to protect persons and property. And as we move towards uh, the acquisition of of these things, uh, the requirement for law enforcement would be there. But it won't be the way that it's been practiced and the way that we've been taught and what we've seen out here, especially in this past year, in regards to how the white man teaches uh, his law enforcement to police our communities. So um, just going forward, I want us to, to really understand that this uh, process of separation is all encompassing. And any field of endeavor that we're in, law enforcement being included, um, definitely has its place. Um, it's, and it's, it's definitely um, important in this, in this process. And when you look at our, our children, being, being the police and, and being out, I work in the city of Harvey, which if anybody's from Chicago or the South suburbs, you know Harvey get, you know, Harvey is one of those cities that uh, turn up. So being, <laughs> excuse the expression, being, being on those streets and seeing how the society has 100% failed our children. And when I say our children, I'm not necessarily just meaning, uh, you know, babies, but I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the brothers that I run into are the same age, maybe a couple of years younger than me. And there's no telling why I would be had I not come and gotten the teachings of the organization. So uh, when, when, when I'm out there and I'm in those streets and I see uh, the people and I encounter uh, the youth, a youth as uh, Minister Ava constantly reiterates, is absent any fear of this false sense of authority that the Caucasian has been trying to um, press on them. And when you look at what's been going on in the streets with the clashes against police, that's really what it is, man. They're really, they're really pushing back against a false sense of authority, the authority of white supremacy that's lorded over them for so long. But as Minister Ava always says, we finally produced a generation that is 100% unafraid of that false sense of authority. So all praise is due to Allah. So as we, as we move forward with this, the call has to be made to those that are in this profession that understand that you must have law and order. Any, any motion has to be governed by law. We, understand, we know that in teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Um, so police or law enforcement is not the issue. The issue is that we've been allowing a foreign force, a foreign entity whose time is up 
to act as though they have some sort of authority over us that they don't have. So our praise is due to Allah. So the call has to be made to our law enforcement professionals, both in the nation and those that are outside, that know, that understand the dynamic of policing our communities in the state that it's in and also policing it in the state where we want it to go. Um, uh, to, 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 to assist us with this and to, re, to rewrite or change the narrative of law enforcement being uh, um, a sellout or a cop-out or not having any, any, any place in this revolutionary process of separation because it, it, it does. And as we move forward, we'll see uh, when it's time for the transfer of students to and from school, transfer, uh, transit of, of goods, the police have their place in that. Um, it's not all about running and gunning and shooting and cowboy car chases. That's what white people come to our community for, to have fun. And the minister told us in the criterion, the time is over. That time is over, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I just, I wanna thank Sister Ava. I wanna thank uh, everybody on the panel. And I, I definitely look forward to to uh, working on this in this process. Thank you all so much for being with us tonight. Um, I would like to, as we uh, close out, um, ask each each of the panelists if you had um, some brief remarks uh, that you would like to make. That you would like the uh, brothers and sisters here and those watching um, all over the country and in different places in the world uh, because we want you to go away from this inspired to take some action you know we, we have to know who we are and what our capability is and we would never know that had not Master Farid Muhammad come here alone to restore us to the knowledge of ourselves and kind, to know ourselves, to know our God. They took everything from us, our name, our language, our culture, our religion, our physical, mental, financial freedom. But the descendants of the tribe of Shabazz are indestructible. We're indestructible. And so now we stand poised to return to self. This is a magnificent time to be alive and we thank Allah. We all are going through our trials with loss, with illness, accidents, relationships, you name it. But this is a beautiful thing when Allah tests you because when he's trying you, the minister said he's not obligated to bring our trials one at a time. He said, Allah is not obligated to give you downtime between trials. And he will take you to the very brink of despair to increase your faith that he may shower you with blessings. And remember, as we move away from Allah's enemy, Allah gives trials. Satan comes with temptation through our low and personal desires. 
So let's do as much as we can as our minister is an example of, because I don't think there's anybody on this planet that can do what he's doing. The power that is behind him can only be a law in his Christ, because it's not only the volume of the minister's work, it is his sensitivity it is his ability to step into the shoes of another person. Whether you agree with them or not, if we can step into the shoes of another person and not judge but say, how would I feel if I were in this situation? If I were Cain feeling jealousy of my brother Abel, what can we do to overcome falling so low and becoming so angry with God in a misplaced anger that we commit murder? Step into the shoes of Mother Clara Muhammad. Step into the shoes of Hagar. Step into the shoes of Job. But above all, step into the shoes of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, and then we will have that unity that will get us up out of here, because we're going as a team. This ain't golf. This is not a one-man sport. It's all of us or none of us. And so if each of our, starting with our beloved says, you look beautiful, by the way, in that gun. <laughs> Praise is due to a lot. Thank you. One of the things that I, I want to say as a takeaway to all of this, because this is an absolutely beautiful Savior's Day, I want to personally thank the Most Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, because I know he saved my life. And I, I can't thank him enough. But I've had the opportunity to work on the minister's farm for several years with his beloved daughter, sister Betsy Jean Farrakhan, and I've learned so much about coming together and unity and being in that soil. The problem that I'm seeing is we're not realizing everything we need is right in our nation. We have everything that we need to tell this devil we are going for self. So this Savior's Day and this pandemic has been a blessing because it is forcing us to come together. And we have so much beauty and talent amongst ourselves. What are we waiting for? This is our time. The brother said it. Our time is now. And I'm so thankful and so honored um, that we are doing this now. We're coming together. We shouldn't be this one renting, that one renting. No, we buy homes, we buy land, and we work in unity together like we were taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And we're being taught by the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. So our time is now. That's not a cliche. It really is our time. And so I'm just honored because I feel the spirit of Savior's Day. We're moving forward after this. There's no turning back now. Thank you, Sister Shahida. Yes, Brother Shahid. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, don't sit around asking the question oh. what to do. Just get up and do something. And problem number 13 in our supreme wisdom, 
problem book. After learning mathematics, which is Islam, and Islam is mathematics, it stands true. It can be proven in no limit of time. Then what? You must learn to use it to secure benefit while you are living. That is luxury, money, good homes, and friendships in all walks of life. The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan said true happiness is picturing something in your mind, bringing that thought, that desire into actuality. So my wife and I, we are lit with happiness because of Al Jenna Farms. When we see that transformation take place, when you go to the website, you'll see I'm out there with the camera, it's all snow. Looks like a dead winter time. But as Allah will hopefully bring the good weather, we are going to look at the transformation and we pray by, by the help of Allah by May to have our Jenna Farms up and moving. So I say to the believers, find what you want to do for your nation and be like Nike and just do it. Assalamu alaikum. Brother Akbar, sir. Wa alaikum salam. No? Okay. Well, I, I want to say initially that in my mind that separation really is a state of mind. It starts right here. And I constantly reflect over Prophet Muhammad and Jahaliyyah as he dealt with Jahaliyyah against the Quraysh or the ignorance that existed during that day and time. And I think that when we begin to look at this system that's been established, a system of capitalism that has been established, it is not for us, not this system. It's a system of Jahaliyyah. It's a system of ignorance. So in order for us to be able to change the reality and begin to separate, we've got to begin to be able to first look at it from a socialist perspective, begin to pull resources together amongst ourselves. We have went very hard and worked hard to develop a fund, a Reg D fund, a Regulation D fund, which enables us to be able to pull resources together legally, according to the SEC. We can talk to accredited investors, people who have money that would love to be able to share in to a vision of what it means to build a community. We could be able to deal with the science of business because that's what it is that we have been missing, the science of business. And what is business? It's warfare. Business is warfare. One example that I won't be long. When I bought the mall over there on 71st and Yates, I bought it from an Arab. They call him the king of Arabs in Chicago, Musa Tadros. He said to me, do you know what I got this mall for? I said, no, Musa, I don't know what you got it for. My business is laundry. They had a vacant laundromat there that was closed down. He said, I stole it from one of your people, Vernon Caldwell. He said, I bet you if you had had knowledge of this, that he was in trouble in this situation, you probably would have pulled the things together amongst your people. I said, Musa, what you buy it for? He said, $300,000. I said, 300, how could he lose it like that? I took that one liberty to talk to another Jewish guy at another mall that I'm a sharecropper in because it's important to own the land. 
not just be a sharecropper to deal with a landlord. So I went to the Jewish guy. I got a 20 year lease. I'm an anchor tenant there paying 20,000 a month for two businesses in that mall. And I said, Mr. Munch, you own the state of Illinois building. You own buildings all throughout Hyde Park and all throughout the city of Chicago. You build Walmarts. I said, I'd love to be able to buy this shopping mall for you from you. He says, why do you want to buy it? I said, why wouldn't I want to buy it? I'm the anchor tenant here. He said, you need to get this out of your mind. Get it out of your mind. This was built and made and it's for my children. Set it up for my children. So I've been able to take that cash cow to begin to buy properties that I own the land. Properties in Lincoln Highway, I'll buy uh, the south suburbs, building and owning the land, properties in Woodlawn, and not letting him know what I'm doing. Because when I begin to expose what I'm doing, I don't think that I would have that good energy. I think there would be certain roadblocks in the way. So I said all of that to say, brothers and sisters, we have to begin to do something for ourselves. This is our time. During this pandemic, money is out there. It ain't about access to capital because we already have capital as the biggest consumer that exists. We have been the biggest consumer. We got the money. We just need to be able to pool our resources together and begin to do something for our own selves or suffer the consequences as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught us. Assalamu alaikum. Man, ain't much to say after that. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, I'm just, I just want to say that I'm excited. I look forward to uh, building the momentum uh, in this forward trajectory. And I think that as we go forward, we'll see uh, that uh, we'll, we'll have the vision of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and what Master Rob Muhammad had for us as that cornerstone nation to usher in the kingdom of our Lord on earth uh, through the talent and the guidance that we get uh, from, from, those, from those three now. Um, I think that uh, as, we, as we move forward in this direction, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to uh, realize, realize that fact. As long as we keep in our minds, I forget how the saying goes, but I think it's like, um, ask not, what your nation can do for you, but ask what you can do for your nation. So as you move forward, be, be thinking that, what, what could I bring? What could I do to usher in this kingdom uh, for the benefit of ourselves first and then for the rest of humanity? Thank you. I'm going to leave the rostrum now and what we're going to uh, close with and then uh, Brother Terrence will return to close us in prayer. You're going to see uh, three video clips, a uh, minute and a half, two minutes and a half, and the last one, five minutes. And this answers the question, can we do this? Because guess what? Been there, done that. Not only can we do it, we did it. Coming up out of slavery into the 20th century, look and see what we do, 
when we're among ourselves and not disturbed by the intrusion of the enemy of God and us. I thank you all so much for being with us, those of you here and those of you watching. May Allah continue to bless us with this incredible Savior's Day. Thank you, Minister Farrakhan. Oh my God, we wouldn't even know who we are if you had not stood up to rebuild the nation of Islam to restore the reputation of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum. And Oklahoma is a unique space in terms of the number of African-American towns that were established. Some suggest upwards of 50 African-American towns between 1924 and 1928. Reverend S.S. Jones was going around documenting this sort of self-determined, vibrant African-American communities. You see the African-American educators, doctors, lawyers, landowners, oil barons, and I think that's what's so remarkable about this footage. To think that individuals, how many years out of slavery, are now owning oil wells that are producing 2,000 barrels a day. Is that not the ultimate American dream? Is that not the ultimate American story? It flies in the face of what I think some people consider part of African-American history and culture. And I think that that was one of the things that Oklahoma and what S.S. Jones is really kind of showing is that that African-American history and culture is not a monolith. And in a way, it became kind of like a marketing tool to encourage individuals to migrate, to move there, that this is a place where you can live, you can thrive and peacefully reside there were still palpable racial tensions. There are lynchings, there's Jim Crow segregation, there's all of these things, and you still have an African-American community or many communities that really speak to the fortitude and resilience of Black people in this country. founded by Mrs. Gold S. Morgan Young. These are the more than 30 employees of the Union Protective Assurance Company, led by President H.D. Whaler, the owners of Stories Watch and Jewelry Repair, the founders of the Tri-State Bank. All are successful Black-owned businesses in Memphis, Tennessee. And all were filmed by the Reverend L.O. Taylor of the Olivet Baptist Church. Taylor shot the footage you're seeing now as a record of Black Memphis, a place white Memphis never even saw. It's the same in other southern cities, too. Atlanta, Richmond, and Birmingham. Separation of the races have created thriving, but separate, cities within cities. But soon it won't matter whether you live in the black one or the white one. It's 1954. 
the big show. Well, come on, we got a show going on out here. The people out here is waiting for us. Memphis, here at the 41st All-Black Tri-State Fair, you can find vegetable growing competitions, baby beauty contests, teen talent shows, and a parade through the center of town. Like them all over the South, mixing with the white people isn't the goal. What they want is for their children to have the same opportunities that the white children have. While there have been many firsts for African Americans over the past 30 years, the underlying reality is sobering. In a study released in 2002 by the Pew Hispanic Center in Washington, D.C., researchers determined the median net worth for African American households is less than 10% of whites who earn a median net worth of $88,651. The median net worth of Hispanics was $7,932. African-American households lagged behind at $5,988. The unemployment rate for blacks is more than twice that of whites and about 40% higher than Hispanics. So what does it mean to be African-American today as compared to being a Negro 70 years ago? We will attempt to answer the question, what is the legacy of black America? What do we know about where we came from? What our culture is? We will look back at the best example of a thriving, self-reliant black community in America, where black people work together in a spirit of cooperation, where they achieved wealth and prosperity in the midst of blatant racism, violence, and ignorant opposition. That community is Haiti in Durham, North Carolina. Durham, North Carolina is a place which the world instinctively associates with tobacco. It has, however, other claims to notice. Today, there is a singular group in Durham where a black man may get up in the morning from a mattress made by black men in a house which a black man built out of lumber which black men cut and planed. He may put on a suit which he bought at a colored haberdashery and socks knit at a colored mill. He may cook victuals from a 
colored grocery store on a stove which black men fashioned. He may earn his living working for colored men, be sick in a colored hospital, and buried from a colored church. And the Negro Insurance Society will pay his widow enough to keep his children in a colored school. This is surely progress. What hurt us was integration. Expressway came right through the middle of all of this, which blew us out of Haiti. You know, that may be how he, his business survived because he moved so far away from the reconstruction or the demolition of Haiti until he was safe. And there are reasons. Some of us assume that this is a new integrated society and there's no need for our children to carry that baggage with them. Which personally, I think it's insane. <laughs> I think that all kids should be firmly aware of what Uncle Larry, Grandma and them had to do in order to get you right here where you're at right now. Of a physician, a black physician, or you could walk a few more blocks down and you were standing in front of the home of a, a respected teacher in the neighborhood. Or you could walk a little further down and you were standing in front of... When we look at African Americans today, they have a, a, a net worth that's a tenth of what majority families have, we realize that we have to play a part in that. We don't measure our society by how many rich people there are. You measure our society by how many successful young people there are. And this, our society is a failure, an abject, complete, 100% failure. That your mission is to save the next generation behind you because if you don't do something soon, there ain't gonna be nothing to talk about in our future because our future is being destroyed. Once again, all I can say is Happy Savior's Day. So I know you have been inspired and you've been motivated for a separation. So soon we'll have a new website, separation.com, where you can sign the petition to go ahead for separation. I know y'all ready to sign, right? Everyone is ready to sign. New website is coming, separation.com soon. So be on the lookout for that. And as you know, we have started our first day of our Savior's Day weekend, and we're not done. We're not finished. We want you to go to NOI.org forward slash SD2021. Once again, NOI.org SD forward slash SD2021 for the rest of our wonderful, amazing weekend of Savior's Day activities, workshops, and events, and of course, our keynote address 
on this Sunday. So if you didn't get a chance to see all of the amazing events today, please visit our website. So we thank you. I hope you're motivated and inspired. But at this time, just as we open, we're going to stand and close with prayer. Position for prayer. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful. All praise is due to Allah, the Lord of the worlds, the beneficent, the merciful, master of the day of judgment, which we now live. To thee alone do we serve, to thee alone do we seek for thine aid. Guide us on the right path, the path on those thou bestow favors, not upon those thou wrath is brought down, nor of those who go astray after hearing thy teaching. Amen. Happy Savior's Day.